29, verse number 3. He, in the first year of his reign, it's King Hezekiah, it says, He opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. And he brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them together in the east street and said unto them, Hear me, ye Levites, sanctify now yourselves and sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers and carry forth the filthiness out of the holy place. Let's pray. Father, bless as we spend some time in your word here, these few moments together, that you would stir our hearts. Father, that you would just um, unite us in this matter of revival the need for it, uh, and what it takes uh, to be receptive to it uh, from you. But Father, just this time together that you would use it uh, to strengthen our faith, to uh, strengthen our commitment uh, to you, our Lord and Savior. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. About a church in town, it had caught fire and members had come from all around and they were, in the old days, they were passing the buckets, you know, trying to put out the fire buckets of water and and uh, this one fellow stepped up and he joined the, the bucket brigade and uh, one of the church members looked over and here it was, they, they knew the man, he lived just a block and a half or so away and, and uh, they looked at him and they said, I don't ever remember seeing you here in this church, you've never been in this church before, it's the first time you've been here, that's right, first time I've uh, seen you here and the fellow said, it's the first time I've seen this church on fire. <laughs> well... <clears throat> We're going to talk in a spiritual sense in that regard this morning, all right? But let me ask the question, why do we have revival meetings? Is it because everybody else does it? Actually, not that many people do it anymore, but, but is it because others do it? Is it because it's expected of us? Is it to give the pastor a day off or a week off from preaching? <laughs> why do we have revival meetings? The answer is simple, because we need it. We need it. Our hearts need stirred, our, our spirits need refreshed, our vision needs renewed. There's a lot of preconceived ideas, I think, yet today about what, it, what the word revival means. When, when you mention the word revival, uh, there's a lot of notions of what that means. But let me just say a couple of things. Revival is not something that can be scheduled. Okay? Revival is not something that an evangelist brings with him. or bring, I don't care who the evangelist is. <laughs> He cannot bring revival in his suitcase. God bring it cannot be manufactured. God brings revival when his people do what? Pray, humble themselves, and seek his face. And let me say this, God does not bring revival. Now listen to my full statement so you understand what I'm saying. God doesn't bring revival to a church. Okay? He doesn't bring revival to a nation. He brings revival to the believer. And then it can spread to the church. It can spread to the nation. But it must start with the individual, the individual believer. The one who, again, is, is willing to obey and submit to him in every aspect of their life. I have a favor to ask as we go through this message this morning, as we consider what's needed in order to have revival, what, what uh, some of these things that, that are borne out, uh, and even by contrast, uh, what if we refuse to do things uh, that we won't have revival? But when as you go through these things, here's my favor to ask of you: focus on your own heart. Can you do that? Not the person next to you, not the person behind you, not even the person that's not here. Focus on your own heart, because that's where it must begin. About a fella, 
every time he'd go out the door after the service, he'd tell the preacher, said, boy, preacher, you sure told him today. <laughs> well, the preacher knew some of the issues in this man's life, and he, and he was hoping it would get through to, to him, but every Sunday, boy, you sure told him today, preacher. <laughs> well, one Sunday, there was a, a wintertime, a bad uh, snowstorm and things, and well, so happened this fellow was the only one that made it to church. And so the preacher said, well, I got him today. <laughs> uh, he has to know this is for him today. And so the pastor preached his message and, and uh, laid it on the line and so forth. Well, they, after the service, the fellow went out and he said, Boy, preacher, you sure would have told him if they'd have been here. <laughs> well, let's not do that, okay? You say, Oh, I don't do that. It's not, you're not supposed to lie in church, okay? <laughs> we, uh, I think if we're honest, we, we all sometimes focus, like to focus on other people instead of ourselves. So this morning, let's focus on. As uh, Jesus talked about the, the, the beam in our, in our eye and not so much on the speck in the other person's eye, all right? Let's focus on our own heart this morning. Can we do that? I hope we can. Well, here from our text, we know Israel, uh, Judah was in a, in a very, uh, I'd say difficult time, but, but uh, a wicked time. Uh, and it's evidenced by what had to happen here and what we're going to look at this morning. But the revival, if you have, a, some, some Bibles have, have little headings, subheadings. Mine has the revival under Hezekiah. <laughs> Mine says above these verses. Now I want to look at this revival that took place uh, here in the land and relate it to us today. When revival comes, some things will happen. I have three things I want to mention this morning. When revival comes, number one, there will be restoration. There will be restoration Verse 3, it says there, Hezekiah, in the first year of his reign, he opened the door, first month of his reign, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. Now that tells us a lot, doesn't it? And we're going to find out even more shortly. The house of God was in need of repair. The house of God was falling down. They had forsaken the things of God. And it wasn't just a poor testimony on them. Ultimately, it was a poor testimony on God, and that's what Hezekiah was concerned about. That's why he rebuilt and repaired the house of the Lord. The condition of the temple reflected God, reflected the testimony of God. And I would say even uh, this building, the building next door and, and the property, uh, reflects not just on First Baptist Church, it reflects upon the testimony of God, but Let's think spiritually for a minute. Who's the temple of God today? <laughs> Believers. And so the condition of your life reflects upon the testimony of God. Revival brings rebuilding and repair. When, when Christians, when believers, and, and when the church begins to move forward, forget the past. Instead of regretting the past or trying to relive the past, no, we focus on the future. We build for the future. Relationships will be mended. Families will be drawn closer together. Husbands and wives will love each other more than ever before. Christians will love one another more. They'll forgive one another. There'll be no grudges. There'll be no petty bickering There'll be no backbite. There'll be no gossip when revival comes. When revival comes, there will be restoration. You say, well, you don't know what they, what they said, what they did. 
I don't care. Uh, I don't have to know. Because I know what God said. That if we're not right with one another, we cannot be right with God. Period. Exclamation point. If we're not right with one another, we cannot be right with God. And so we need to stop trying to justify ourselves and our actions in the sight of men. Stop making excuses and blaming uh, our disobedience, our actions on the actions of others. And again, it's something I don't think any of us are, we've, we've done that at least at some point in our life. You say, well, what I did was wrong. Yeah, but they did it first, or they provoked me, or they, whatever it is, we, we, we always like to point that finger, don't we? <laughs> Try to find an excuse for our actions, for our disobedience. When revival comes, there'll be a restoration of all of that, a restoration of relationships and, and, and our, our walk with God. So number one, when revival comes, there'll be restoration. So take away from, from these points there that if these things are part of our life, if we want revival, we've got to We've got to get rid of them. We've got to take care of them. All right? So restoration, secondly, go down to verse number four. When revival comes, there will not only be restoration, but there will be cleansing. Cleansing. Verse four, he brought in the priests and Levites, gathered together in the east street. He said, hear me, O Levites, sanctify now yourselves and sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers and carry forth the filthiness out of this place, out of the holy place, rather. Verse 6, for our fathers have trespassed and done that which was evil in the eyes of the Lord, our God, and have forsaken him. They've turned away their faces from the habitation of the Lord, and they've turned their backs. They've shut up the doors of the porch and put out the lamps and have not burned incense nor offered burnt offerings in the holy place under the God of Israel. Look down at verse 16. The priests went into the inner part of the house of the Lord to cleanse it and brought out all the uncleanness they found in the temple of the Lord, the court of the house of the Lord. And the Levites took it and carried it abroad to the brook Kidron. And then down to verse 19, it says, Moreover, all the vessels which Ahaz, King Ahaz in his reign did cast away in his transgression have we prepared and sanctified. And behold, they are before the altar of the Lord. There will be Cleansing. We notice here they had corrupted the house of God. They had corrupted God's house. Verse 5, uh, very plain language. He says, sanctify, sanctify the house. Carry out the what? The filthiness out of the holy place. They allowed God's house to be corrupted with worldly things. With wicked and worldly practices. Listen, the church is not a nightclub, all right? <laughs> it's not a place where we go to sit and be entertained. If, you look, if you're looking for entertainment, go to the ball game, okay? Uh, whoever's still having ball games, I don't But anyway, go to the ball, or, or turn on the television. If you want entertainment, we come to the house of God to worship God. Now, that doesn't mean that we, again, sit with a scowl on our face, and we, uh, no, we, can, have, we can enjoy worshiping God, but the point is, we're not here to be entertained. We're here to worship God, to hear from God, and that's where our focus ought to be. And so in a day when churches, and I've seen it, when churches are taking the pulpit off the platform, they're taking the communion table, sticking it in the back room, because we want to be uh, modern, we want to be hip, we want whatever it is, and, and, and they're just obstacles. Listen, I don't care what kind of podium you have, but the point is, it's sacred because... That's where the word of God, it, read through scripture. 
When they, when they read the scripture, they didn't sit down in a circle, okay, now let's all read God. What happened? No, they stood up, and in fact, it says they stood uh, risen on some type of uh, a platform, generally, so all the people could see, all the people could hear the word of God. And that was the focus of their attention. And by the way, the people stood the whole time, hours upon hours. Uh, if you think it's bad standing for a hymn or two, <laughs> Uh, they stood for hours and hours just to hear the law of God read, the word of God read. We've lost that, haven't we? They've corrupted God's house. Just because we slap the term Christian on something doesn't make it right. Doesn't make it holy. And so they had corrupted God's house. Not only that, they had forsaken God's ways. Verse 6 they had forsaken God's ways. Verse 6 says, Our fathers have trespassed and done that which is evil in the eyes of the Lord. It says they've forsaken Him. they turned away their faces. They have turned their backs on God. Listen, God will not bless your life if you're living in disobedience to His Word. And we could go back, in fact, a couple of verses before this and, and even the verses after it, and, and God tells them, Listen, if you, if you don't obey me, there's going to be judgment. And, and so God cannot, will not bless our life if we're living in disobedience to his word. Our excuses, again, they sound pretty good to us. We're adept at justifying our actions to, to ourselves and to others, but God's not buying it. God's not buying it. And also realize, and this is something else to point out, but realize that, that your sin, my sin... It's, it's not just about us, again. Uh, it's, it's, uh, uh, we're not an entity to ourself, right? Think, best example we think of Scripture is who? Achan. Achan. Uh, who took uh, what he was not supposed to take of the spoils of, what city was it? Anybody remember? Jericho, right? And uh, they were told sometimes God would say you can take the spoils, other times he would say you leave them there. Well, this was an occasion. God said, you leave the spoils there. And Achan saw a, a, some sparkling under the rubble. He found a, a golden garment, a Babylonian garment and some gold. And so he took them and he hid them in his tent. And what happened? The next battle, Israel lost. Why? Because there was sin in the camp. And so your sin doesn't just affect you. It affects your family. It certainly affected Achan's family. Right? They all gave their lives. Uh, and his livestock and everything else. But it doesn't just affect you. It doesn't just affect your family. It affects the family of God. It affects the church. Uh, last time and, or next time you hear a story about a, a preacher who did this or that or, or somebody who uh, uh, proclaimed to be a servant of God, do this or that, guess what? That goes far beyond that person and even that person's family, even that person's church. It affects all of Christianity, doesn't it? Well, anyway, they had forsaken God's ways. They would turned their back. On God. And so God will not bless your life if you're living in disobedience to His Word. They had corrupted God's house, they had forsaken God's ways. And there's another reason they needed cleansing, and that is they had ceased God's worship. They had ceased God's worship. Verse 7 it says, They've shut up the doors of the porch, they've put out the lamps. Remember the golden lampstand? Right? Uh, it says, they have uh, not burned incense nor offered burnt offerings in the holy place unto the God of Israel. They'd ceased God. They were no longer faithful 
in the house of God, serving, worshiping, ministering in the house of God. They started missing church. But it didn't happen all at once. It happened little by little by little. Does Mary get a little more uncomfortable in here? <laughs> they began missing church. My, my dad was involved pretty extensively in jail ministry um, uh, during much of his life. And uh, he was always amazed, and he would share this, but always amazed how many people he came across in the county jail as he began to share with them and, and witness them. And, and they would say, oh, I grew up in church. And a lot of them, a lot of them were Baptist churches. <laughs> but they grew up in church. And, and so dad asked, well, how'd you get here? You know what they would almost always say? Every time they would say, well, I started, I, I, I uh, you know, got the wrong crowd. I started missing youth group. <laughs> started missing Sunday night church. Eventually I didn't go very often Sunday. See what I'm saying? It happens little by little by little. And pretty soon you're right where they are. <laughs> There's no longer uh, uh, sacrifices taking place. Understand that again in the spiritual sense today. But, but they'd ceased God's worship. I ran across, across this article many years ago. I don't know that I've used it here, but it's entitled, I Voted to Close the Church. Let me read this for you. It says, Last Sunday, I voted to close the church. Not maliciously, but thoughtlessly. I voted to close its doors so its witness and testimony would be stopped. I voted to close the Bible on the pulpit, the Bible given to us by the blood of martyrs. I voted for our minister to stop preaching the truths of the gospel. I voted that children no longer be taught the stories of the Bible and the songs of salvation and God's love. I voted that the voice of the choir and congregation be hushed, no more to sing the great hymns of the church. I voted for every missionary to be called home. I could have gone to church last Sunday, but I didn't. I stayed away. By my laxity and indifference, I voted to close the church. Now, again, we're good at making excuses to ourselves. And our, I, I've said this a few weeks ago. Our excuses sound so much better than other people's excuses. <laughs> but we're good at making excuses to ourselves, maybe to, other, maybe to the pastor. But how many of those excuses do you think God would accept? I would encourage you before you share your excuse with whoever, with the preacher or whoever, uh, share it with God first. See what he thinks about it. The one who did, as we, we participate in communion here, the one who went all the way to the cross for you and me. You tell him, I'm just, I'm just, I'm tired. I don't feel like it today. Whatever excuse, you fill in the blank, but just run it past him first, okay? When revival comes, there will be restoration. There will be cleansing of the house of God, cleansing of our hearts and our worship and, and those things we mentioned. But thirdly, finally, there'll be change. When revival comes, there will be change. In other words, we won't just sit here and say, not or hesitate, that was a good message. <laughs> uh, or or, or that, was, uh, well, that really spoke to my heart. It'll be more than that. There'll be change. Look at verse 25. Here in 2 Chronicles 29, verse 25, it says... 
And he set the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals and psalteries and with harps, according to the commandment of David and of Gad the king's seer, and Nathan the prophet, for so was the commandment of the Lord by his prophets. And the Levites stood with the instruments of David and the priests with trumpets. And Hezekiah commanded to offer the burnt offerings upon the altar. And when the burnt offering began, the song of the Lord began also with the trumpets and with the instruments ordained by David, king of Israel. And all the congregation worshipped. The singers sang. And the trumpeters sounded. And all this continued until the burnt offering was finished. And when they had made an end of the offering, the king and all that were present with him bowed themselves and worshipped. Moreover, Hezekiah the king and the princes commanded the Levites to sing praise unto the Lord with the words of David and Asaph the seer. They sang praises with gladness and they bowed their heads and worshipped. See, there was a change in their worship of the Lord. Isn't it amazing how excited people can get at the ball game? Or in front of the television? I mean, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll shout out, right? When's the last time you heard somebody shout amen or praise the Lord? Or, not very often. But, but no, we'll get involved. We'll shout out and, and, and uh, get so enthused, so excited about what's happening. And boy, it's an exciting finish. And, and, and we'll get so excited. We come to church looking like we're sucking on a sour pickle. We have, you, we, you drive down the highway, you see vehicles, they have a soccer mom on it. Or proud parent of what a... You know, maybe you ought to get some bumper stickers made, said uh, church mom. You think? <laughs> proud mom of a Sunday school kid. Or, or proud, uh, wouldn't that be great? <laughs> we don't do it. Why? Well, we're just not quite as excited, evidently. Plus, they probably don't make them, but you, know, you get the point. <laughs> no, so much excitement about other things. But when you come to church, it's, oh, here we are, another service. Made it through. Now what's for dinner? <laughs> if you've lost your joy in worship, again, you can try to blame whoever, whatever you want, but if you've lost your joy in worship, you need to ask yourself why. Is it because of sin in your life? Sin robs us of our joy in worship. Disobedience. A critical spirit. Fear. Lack of fellowship with God. What is, why have you lost your joy? And understand, if you keep doing what you've always done, you're going to get what you've always gotten. It's not getting any better unless you get to the, the, the root cause of it. There are about two men who had gone uh, moose hunting up in Canada. And uh, the week, their week of hunting was over, and the pilot had flown in to, uh, to pick them up as they had arranged ahead of time. And the pilot uh, taxied the plane down the grass landing strip to where the hunters stood with all of their equipment and with the two moose that they had uh, shot. The pilot got out of the plane. He looked over the men's uh, belongings and looked at the two moose. And he said, guys, we can't take all this bag. He said, you're going to have to leave one moose here. There's too much weight for this plane. The two hunters looked at each other for a moment. And one of them said, well, we, we, think, we think it'll be all right. Last year, he said, they said, we came up here with the same equipment, shot two moose about the same size as those. The pilot had a plane the same size of yours, and we got off the ground just fine. The pilot looked again, thought for a moment, he said, well, I guess if you've done it before, I guess 
if you think it can be done, we'll try it. So they loaded up all the equipment, the two moose, they climbed aboard, and the pilot taxied as far back as he could on the grass strip and, and uh, uh, headed forward, bounced a couple times. Finally, he was lifted off the ground, flew a short ways, and then crashed. After regaining consciousness, the two hunters looked around for a moment. One of them said to the other, said, where are we? The other hunter looked around again and replied, oh, about 200 yards further than last year. <laughs> Long story to make the point, if you do what you've always done, you're going to get what you've always gotten. You're not going to get any further. Uh, that's called misguided faith, right? <laughs> misguided faith. But you see, when their fellowship with God was restored, their desire for worship was restored. <laughs> they didn't merely go through the motions. They wanted to meet with God. They wanted to hear from God. They wanted to, 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 to honor God, to sing songs of praise to God. There was a change in their actions. Look in the next chapter. We're almost done. But look in the next chapter, verse 7, chapter 30, verse 7 said, and be not like your fathers and like your brethren, which trespassed against the Lord God of your fathers, who gave them up to desolation. Verse 8, now be not stiff-necked as your fathers were, but yield yourselves unto the Lord and enter into the sanctuary which he has sanctified forever and serve the Lord your God that the fierceness of his wrath may turn away from you. For if you turn again to the Lord, your brethren and your children shall find compassion before them that lead them captive. So that they shall come again to the land, into this land. For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful and will not turn away his face from you if you return unto him. There was a change in their actions. They didn't just, it wasn't just words. They didn't just have church. We're not here to have church. We're here to worship the Lord. We're here not to be passive observers, but to serve God. It's time for Christians to stop playing church and start practicing Christianity. To stop, as, as uh, maybe some of you have seen the saying online, but uh, not to go just to go to church, but to be the church. Our goal in life is not to make things easier or more comfortable for us, but to do our best to point people to Christ. And so let us not be so set in our ways that we miss opportunities to serve the Lord and to reach the lost. There's a change in their actions. They put it into practice. When revival comes, there will be a change, a change in actions, but also notice there was a change in attitude. Verse 11 of chapter 30. Nevertheless, diverse of, of Asher and Manasseh and of Zebulun humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. Also in Judah, the hand of God was to give them one heart to do the commandment of the king and of the princes by the word of the Lord. And there assembled at Jerusalem much people to keep the feast of unleavened bread in the second month, a very great congregation. But notice it says there, they were given one heart, one mind. There was an attitude of commitment, of unity, of perseverance, and of worship. And so this morning we can be satisfied with the status quo, or we can determine to move forward for Christ, even if it means changing some things. In our life, changing some uh, priorities, changing some attitudes about some things or the way things are done. 
There was a change in actions, a change in attitude. I'm going to close with a verse in Malachi. If you want to turn there, go ahead. Malachi chapter 1. It's the last book of the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 1. And I wish we could spend time going through this entire chapter, but I thought it was an indictment against uh, the, the spiritual leadership of Israel here at this time. But I just want to look at one verse here, and you can read the context later of all the things they were doing. But verse 13 of Malachi 1. Ye also say, you said also, Behold, what a weariness it is. Ye have snuffed at it, saith the Lord of hosts. You brought that which is torn, and the lame, and the sick. Thus ye brought an offering. Should I accept this of your hand, saith the Lord? But they said, what a weariness it is. It had become mundane. They, it got to the point where they dreaded serving the Lord. They began bringing, again you can read the context, they began bringing uh, the, the sick and diseased animals to offer to the Lord rather than, than uh, they were to, to count them out. Every tenth one was to go to the Lord, but it was to be free of, of sickness, disease, and all of that, as, as you know, Scripture talks about. But they began to pick out the, the weakest ones, and the ones they didn't have any use for. In fact, he says in the context there, he says, offer that to the, to the king, offer that to the governor, see what he thinks. And yet they try to offer it to God. But the point, verse 13, they've gotten to the point where they dreaded serving the Lord. We have to go to church again? <laughs> we have to, we have to uh, serve it. It's time for Bible school again? <laughs> but you get the point. Their heart was not in it. They, why was that? Well, because they were laboring in the flesh and not in the spirit. Their heart was not in it. God said their attitude was sin. Not just misguided, whatever word you want, but it was sin. They began giving less than their best for God. And so let's think not just offering, but are you giving God the best in every aspect of your life? The first, the best, or are you giving them the leftovers? Well, if I get all this done, then I might, then I might show up at church, or, or I might be able to do this, or I might, uh, if, if nothing else happens, if it, what's the old saying, if, if, it, uh, if it doesn't rain, the creek don't rise, whatever it is, uh, then I'll be there. <laughs> Good Lord, when the creek don't rise, yeah. And so they began giving less the best. God said if their attitude didn't change, he would judge them. He would judge them. 